Good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll have details from International Women's Day held yesterday. And up first in today's country comments, Kristen Phillips, General Manager with Manitoba Egg Days, will stop by to give us the winners of the Innovation Showcase. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. The winners were announced today for the Manitoba Egg Days Innovation Showcase. Here's General Manager Kristen Phillips. So our egg tech winner was Croplands Equipment with their uh, Weed at Quattro. So it is a uh, sprayer that can actually sense the green chlorophyll in the weed and target the weed when spraying so that we will reduce our herbicide impact. The agribusiness services category was won by UKKO Agro with their product, the Foresight, and it's an all-inclusive system. So when we collect all this data on our farms, it will allow us to actually use that data to make management decisions. The winner of the agriculture equipment was BioDry Air, and so this is a dryer that doesn't use um, fuel to uh, create the heat to do the drying. So we really think that this will be a product that uh, growers will go towards as we see the carbon tax impact. The winner of the agronomics category was Timac Agro with their product Top Foss. So it's a phosphate that is over, I think it's over 90% available in year one. Um, so just a really renewable um, product that we will be able to use on farms. The animal and livestock winner was Roquette, and they are now making pea cream, which is a liquid livestock feed. The winner of the farm safety category was Michael's Industries, and they have built a camera arm so that you can actually watch your truck being loaded from the cab um, or from the ground, actually, if you are loading semis to, you know, haul out after you are to, to the elevator. And the winner of the Farm Built Solutions category is Pollution with their invention, RC Farm Arm. And so this is a um, controller inside your tractor that will allow you to start your PTO from the ground. You don't actually have to be in the tractor anymore to make pieces of equipment work using the PTO. Talk about, um, you know, entries this year. What was the um, interest like without a show? Yeah, so, you know, we had planned to have a show, so we had great interest from our exhibitors, uh, 33 entrants in the showcase this year, obviously extremely disappointing that we weren't able to go to a live in-person show, so just did a little bit of a different strategy. Um, we actually have sent out a flyer to 50,000 mailboxes across Manitoba and Saskatchewan to make sure we're getting this information out. Obviously, our, our media partners are a huge part of our innovation showcase. And so we appreciate them helping us spread the word so much. Um, but yeah, really looking forward to having these inventions at the show in 2023. How are the winners picked? Is there a, a, a voting process? or? Uh, so actually it is um, a judging committee that's made up of all farmers. So the judges contacted each of the companies and did a one-on-one -on -one interview. Typically that would have been done at the show. Um, at the show, two of our judges say they are the judges and two of our judges are blind judges. But obviously this year without a show, we had to, uh, you know, say we are the judges when we did the judging this year. And then the judges come together and um, pick the winner. 
saw a uh, billboard up, I guess, for, for next year's show. Is that kind of where the focus is now? Yes, absolutely. January 17th to 19th, 2023. Mark your calendars. That was Kristen Phillips, General Manager of Manitoba Ag Days, with the winners of the Innovation Showcase. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon. I'm Corey Canute. Saskatchewan Conservative MP Jeremy Patzer is looking for feedback on Ottawa's proposal to reduce greenhouse gas emissions through a reduction in fertilizer use. Ottawa has released a discussion document on its goal to reduce greenhouse gas emissions associated with fertilizers by 30% from 2020 levels by 2030 with an overall goal of being net zero by 2050. Patzer says he's been asking for clarity on the government's plan. You know, obviously, canola and corn are the two of the biggest you know, nitrogen users as far as uh, the crops that, that use it, which are you know, obviously staple crops for biofuels, which is a big focus of the government's you know, green energy plan going forward. Uh, so for reducing fertilizer usage, yet we need to grow more crop that requires you know, a lot of nitrogen, it seems a little counterproductive to be limiting the use of it if that's the angle that they end up taking. And the Canadian Cattlemen's Association and the National Cattle Feeders Association are calling on CP and the Teamsters Union to reach an agreement before the March 16th strike deadline. Currently, about eight trainloads of U.S. corn are coming up into the prairies on a weekly basis in an effort to keep animals fed. CCA President Bob Lowe says the industry is in a critical situation as producers and feedlot operators need that feed and are already running on a just-in-time, train-by-train basis. Or just-in-time, I mean, probably the industry's got as an industry, maybe 10, 10 to 12 days of, of feed on hand. So that's, that's not very much. Lowe says he doesn't know if it's possible, but he'd like to see both sides go to binding arbitration before that March 16th strike deadline. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Knute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Wednesday, March 9th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll look back on International Women's Day. As part of International Women's Day yesterday, Glendalee Allen Wassler took part in Farm Credit Canada's webinar. The Women Entrepreneur Summit brought together three key speakers on everything from financing to managing business to finding resiliency. Dr. Robin Hanley Defoe talked about everyday resiliency in ever-changing times. When I think about all the work that you are doing for your communities, all the invisible labor that's happening behind the scenes, it reminds me of this idea that, you know, just because we carry it well, that doesn't mean it's not heavy. And resiliency is required, and it's required in multiple ways. We need systems to improve so we're not in positions all the time where we're stick-handling all of these demands. And in the meantime... During the change season, we also have to look after ourselves. Now, resiliency is usually associated with things like toughness or grit, hardiness or resourcefulness. When I started this research nearly 20 years ago, though, what I came upon was something very different. Sure, we saw toughness and persistence, but we also saw other areas that were contributing to people to be well and to continue to show up. So we called this everyday resiliency. It's what we build a foundation on in which then we can make good choices. Then we can keep showing up. So I'll tell you just a wee bit about each one of the five. Now, the first one is belonging. We need a home team. 
We need people in our corner that are going to encourage us, that are going to look after us even, and recognize also sometimes we make mistakes and we can do relationship repair. Our home team is so vital to our ability to weather difficult times. Now, this is also the foundation of trust and psychological safety that we're seen and we're accepted and we're heard as we are. Belonging home team is step number one. The second is perspective. Now, perspective usually is thought about as an intellectual process, problem solving, critical thinking, all of those mental activities. And what we also know, which is that it also involves heart work. It's actually trying to get our head and our heart on the same page. It's recognizing that emotions are part of the lived experience. Dr. Susan David says, emotions and heart emotions are the cost of a good life. We're going to have to work with our feelings. Now, what we know about resiliency is getting those two things in alignment, operating from our value systems, allow us to do this. So then we can make what matters most matter most. The third we talk about in my work is acceptance, recognizing that there are some things outside of our control. There's some things that we can't move or change, which I appreciate is hard to come to that realization. But what we often see is that if we're not aware that there are certain things that are outside of our control, what happens is we deplete all of our resources and our energy trying to move something that might be immovable. So what we often talk about here is learning how to decipher our controllables. What's actually within our control? Where can we have influence versus what do we need to find new strategies perhaps to coexist with? Finding ways to show up even with those hard parts. And we see this so often when we think about loss or grief or again, just those big human experiences that we can't always stick handle. That's just a portion of the Everyday Resiliency in Ever-Changing Times presentation given by resiliency and workplace wellness expert Dr. Robin Hanley-Defoe as part of Farm Credit Canada's Women's Entrepreneurs Summit. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee allen Vossler. Thanks, Glendalee. We also heard from Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibo as she held a fireside chat in recognition of International Women's Day. We are working very hard together to try to make more space for women and I would say for youth as well and underrepresented groups um, around every decision-making table uh, concerning agriculture, but also agriculture is so wide now. It's obviously a big part of it is in the field, but it's also in in new technologies, in in scientific labs, in, in management and obviously around board of directors as well. So uh, we're trying to find different ways to to make space for more women and youth because we know in whatever organization, uh, we need diversity because diversity will bring strength, uh, will bring more uh, different perspectives around the table, a new path toward solutions. Um, And I will always remember when when I came in 2015 with this first um, Uh, gender equal cabinet, an old man minister told us that uh, it could see the change, that with so many women around the table, we talk more about people and we talk less about politics. I thought it was interesting. Mm -hmm. And when I I do this round table with uh, women in in agriculture uh, across the country, there are three um, topics that come back on a regular basis. Uh, Access to financing is obviously one, but also um, 
mentorship and networking because women never have the time uh, to invest in their network. Uh, it's, it's hard. You know, you feel that you're the first one who have to take care of the family and you don't take these these moments to to go to the meeting of the association and it's it's harder for women to get into these network and and to find support and mentorship this is something that comes over and over again and also access to childcare so investing uh, significantly in access to childcare uh, because our objective is really to have uh, every family across Canada having access for a daycare at the no more than $10 a day is one of the significant measures we're we're putting in place um, and also, you know, through Farm Credit Canada, for example, and through our entrepreneurship program, we are trying to put in place some specific financing that will bring to women not only pure financing support, but also uh, uh, mechanisms to, to support them in, uh, in skills training. That was Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibo speaking yesterday during International Women's Day. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email to farmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glenda Lee Allen Bossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. Farm Credit Canada is holding a farmland values report March 15th. Get the details on the FCC website. The Stanley Soil Management Association is hosting their AGM virtually on March 15th, starting at 7 p.m. Call or text 204-362-0352 to register. Manitoba Canola Growers is holding a webinar on March 16th. Go to their website. And the Sustainability of Canadian Agriculture Conference 2022 takes place March 16th to the 18th. Details on the University of Manitoba Agriculture website. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Wednesday afternoon, we continue our series of look backs today in celebration of CFAM's 65th anniversary. We're joined by Dr. Michael Eskin, a professor in the Department of Food and Human Nutritional Sciences at the University of Manitoba. He's a global leader in canola research and one of the world's leading food science writers. Dr. Eskin talked about the origin of canola. It really started when a, a Polish immigrant farmer, I think name was Fred uh, Solvoniuk, and his wife Olga was, yes, they um, came to Saskatchewan, and a friend of his sent him some seeds. This is going back in 1936 and they had a little kitchen garden and it really grew very well and uh, and as a result of that they started um, it, it adapted well to my, the, the, the agricultural environment and uh, then suddenly the, the rapeseed acreage increased particularly during World War II and uh, what happened was that uh, rapeseed oil was shown to be a wonderful lubricant for marine engines. And uh, so Agriculture Canada actually, they, this was in the early 40s, they actually had a program to uh, growing the seeds, the original seeds uh, the, from the Polish seeds, that, uh, and they also imported in the seeds from Argentina uh, and to produce this this oil because it was just 
It was really quite a, a uh, remarkable oil, it really, for, for marine engines. And it was very, served, served the, um, the Canadian, um, well, during the Second World War. And um, what happened was when, fortunately, the, the Second World War, we were victorious. And um, with the introduction, uh, essentially, um, there was no need for, for rapeseed. And uh, there was, uh, as a result, you um, try to figure out what could they do with it. And um, they really uh, started trying to see whether someone is suggesting how good kind of them, maybe we can do something with it. But the rapeseed that they had was very high in erucic acid, which is about 40-50%. It's a C221 and uh, wasn't thought to be particularly healthy. And uh, although it, it is used in China and uh, uh, extensively, but um, was used in China. And so they started to see, is there any way we could do something to improve the... the um, the um, oil, and um, because it was no, there was no need for uh, for a marine oil anymore with the development of alternative uh, engines, uh, and um, so it really started in the really started in the forties, and um, but it wasn't until the late fifties when two breeders would be. Stephenson, who was at the University of Manitoba, Dr. Stephenson, and Keith Downey, who was at NRC Labs. And they were two old-fashioned plant breeders, and uh, they were able to, they, they started focusing their attention. A lot of work had been done moving to that point, but they were really the um, individual who finally pulled this thing together. And interesting enough, the story is told about Dr. Stephenson. He was hired by the University of Manitoba with the intentional, initial intention and was to work on legumes. And uh, I guess he was interested in rapeseed. And uh, so he, uh, my understanding was he asked the head of his department if, if would he mind if he also did some work on rapeseed. And the head of the department simply said, well, as long as you, you fulfill the, uh, the requirement for the work on legumes, you can uh, work on rapeseed. And, of course, Canada, in particular Manitoba, is well known for its wheat. So it's primarily the wheat breeders. So the wheat breeders didn't have too much mercy on uh, Dr. Uh, Stephenson, and they just teed him for, um, over this sort of peculiar rapeseed. Anyway, time uh, <laughs> told that they had to eat uh, essentially what they did but between the two of them with old-fashioned breeding. And they ha that was number one. That was Dr. Michael Eskin, a professor at the University of Manitoba, talking to us here today about the origin of canola. It was part of our series of lookbacks in celebration of CFAM's 65th anniversary.
Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. CP Rail could be looking at a strike as early as March 16th. An overwhelming majority, 96.7% of more than 3,000 members of the Teamsters Canada Rail Conference voted in favour of strike action earlier this month. CCA President Bob Lowe says with the drought and the lack of feed production, a potential rail strike would be devastating. We're running on imported corn from the U.S. to feed the cattle herd, currently in the feeding sector, the feedlot sector. But, and, and I mean, there's different numbers of what we need a week, but somewhere around eight train loads of corn a week just to keep us even. The Canadian Cattlemen's Association and the National Cattle Feeders Association is encouraging both sides to reach a solution prior to the strike deadline. And Ottawa isn't the only one looking for feedback on its proposal to reduce greenhouse gas emissions associated with fertilizer. Saskatchewan Conservative MP Jeremy Patzer sent out a mailer asking for feedback on the issue. Ottawa is calling for a 30% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions associated with fertilizers from 2020 levels by 2030, with an overall goal of being net zero by 2050. If we're reducing fertilizer usage, then we've seen the reports that show we're going to have a decline in production, which is not what we're not ideal because then we've got to you know, import more from the U.S. Um, so let's give farmers the tools that they need. They, they know how to uh, take good care of the land. You know, they've been using you know, state-of-the-art farming practices for years, and so we need to respect the fact that they know what's best and they will continue to do what's in the best interest of the land because that's going to give them the best result while also respecting you know, the environment and the land usage. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll talk more about the war in Ukraine. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.